Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton, and we are going to be tackling a long-awaited topic tonight, and that is digestion. And I will say this, digestion is so multifaceted. We do not give it the attention it deserves. We certainly have not had um, enough episodes on this topic of digestion. You know, we've talked about FODMAPs and nightshades, and they certainly have a role in digestion. But this is an overview of digestion and the primary phases of digestion where things go wrong. Because I really want to emphasize that digestive enzymes are not the the solution for every digestive problem, just like probiotics are not the solution for every digestive challenge or problem. So this is going to be an overview of the big picture of digestion and the common challenges that people experience because I get a lot of emails about all sorts of things related to digestion, whether it's bloating, IBS, constipation, diarrhea, stomach discomfort with vegetables, all sorts of things. And I can't possibly cover it all, but I felt like it would be helpful to have a foundational episode about digestion, really explaining some of the phases of digestion and getting some of the basics out of the way so that we can go into things like small intestine bacterial overgrowth or SIBO um, and a more complicated, more detailed challenges related to digestion once we lay this groundwork. So that is what this is going to be. If, of course, at any point you have questions or there are specific topics related to digestion that you want me to go into more detail about, email me. Let me know. I want to make sure that we are addressing everything you want to understand and everything you have questions about. So I cannot divine what questions you have. Please reach out and let me know. So let's talk for a second about the role of the digestive system. And in general, we think like, oh yeah, it breaks down our food. But it really is a little bit more important than that, more significant than that. Your digestive system is one of the primary barriers, protective barriers within your body, right? It is deciding based on what you eat and drink, what gets to be let in and what gets to be excreted, right? So yeah, when we swallow something, food, drink, whatever, it is within us, but your digestive system is the selective barrier that decides what is fuel, what is nutritive, and what is a toxin that needs to be excreted, right? Toxins and irritants out, nutrients in. That is the primary role of the digestive system as a protective barrier. And when we think about the digestive system, everything from when we put something in our mouth to when we excrete it, transit time, 
The amount of time it takes from beginning to end is really critical because if waste products and or toxins sit in the digestive tract too long at any one place, they can cause damage there. And that puts this protective barrier at risk. It can cause damage to this protective barrier for our body. And that is not good at all because that can be the origin for just about any disease, right? We've all heard before that most of your immune system, the majority, the vast majority of your immune system resides within the, the digestive tract. And so if we do anything to impede the integrity, impair the integrity of this digestive tract, and we are putting our health at risk. It is so much more than just digesting and absorbing and excreting what we eat. And I'm sure that many of you have heard this before, but when this, this, this idea that I'm about to introduce to you, and forgive the sirens if you guys can hear the sirens, I am recording in a hotel room that is in a city, um, so not as quiet as, as a normal hotel that I would like to choose. But anyway, um, many of you have heard of this idea of digestive permeability, right? When we damage the integrity of the gut lining, of the digestive system, pretty much anywhere along the way, and we can damage it, whether it's the slow transit time that I just talked about, or too much sugar, processed foods, toxins, improper filtering, bacterial imbalances, it causes the gut, the digestive tract, to be too permeable, to let too much in, to lose its efficacy as a protective barrier. And this is called leaky gut, leaky gut, right? Leaky gut is a cornerstone for autoimmune diseases and inflammatory diseases and a lot of discomfort, a lot of digestive discomfort. So when we talk about the damage that can be caused when we make really crappy food choices or or I guess using the word crappy in a digestive uh, episode is <laughs> no pun intended there. But when we do anything that damages this lining of our digestive system, we are setting ourselves up to really impair this protective barrier. It can lead to leaky gut, and that is the beginning of many systemic diseases, not just digestive diseases. I'm not talking just like IBS or um, Crohn's disease or anything like that. I'm talking about systemic autoimmune or inflammatory diseases as well as just general discomfort. So let's go through the basics of the digestive process. It actually begins before we even eat. It begins when we start to think about food. You can think about something you're going to eat, you can look forward to something, you can anticipate something, and what happens is your mouth begins to water. And as this happens, enzymes, enzymes that break down food, are being secreted into your mouth. When, you, when your mouth kind of fills with that saliva, there are enzymes in there that begin the digestive process before you even pick up the food, before you even put it in your mouth, right? And the problems begin very shortly thereafter. Now, the second step in this digestive process is 
chewing. And this is one of the primary issues with the digestive process that most people don't even think about, but it is a huge issue. So we chew to set up to prime our body for digestion, right? And if you are not chewing enough, and again, we don't even think about it. We don't even give this any thought, but this is one of the primary parts of digestion. If you do not chew your food thoroughly, you are setting yourself up for incomplete digestion and that slower transit time that we talked about that can cause damage to the protective barrier that is your digestive tract. Because chewing is all about increasing the surface area of whatever you've put into your mouth, right? For food to be broken down, to be completely digested, metabolized, absorbed, it has to be attacked by enzymes, right? These enzymes basically break it down into tiny little pieces. The more surface area there is, the more quickly and completely the enzymes can attack, the more quickly and completely they can break it down, right? Think about it this way. If you have a slinky and it's scrunched up all the way, completely compacted, and these enzymes had to attack the slinky, well, it would be a whole lot slower than if the slinky was stretched out because when it's compacted, there's far less surface area. So even if there are a lot of available enzymes, they just, they can't all fit on the slinky because there's just not as much space available to them as there is when you stretch the slinky out. This is the role of chewing. It is to increase the surface area so that there's more spaces for enzymes to come in and literally attack and break it down, then it can happen more quickly and more completely, right? Most of us chew way too little, all right? And I'm not a big advocate of counting anything, whether it's calories or macros or whatever, because I think that it's just cumbersome and not sustainable for most people. But here's the reality. We should be chewing any given bite of food between 20 and 30 times, okay? Most of us don't ex exceed six or seven. Pay attention next time you put something in your mouth. For most of us, it's like chew, 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 swallow, the end. Unless it's something like a tougher steak or a piece of chicken, that might get seven or eight chews before we swallow. But most of the time, it's really like three or four. That is so incomplete. So incomplete. And we really, if you just focus on doubling the number of chews per bite of food, that would be a great step in the right direction. Plus, it slows you down. This is so critical. Please, please chew your food more completely. If you don't, this is going to impair digestion in a number of ways. You are setting yourself up for difficulty the entire rest of the digestive process if you are not chewing your food adequately. All right, so once we swallow, the food starts to move down the digestive tract, right? And it begins to mix with acid secreted by your stomach, okay? There's some more physical mechanical breakdown that happens as the food moves down your esophagus, but once it gets to the stomach, it is mixed with acid. If your acid production is impaired, your digestion is impaired. And when I said earlier that not all digestive issues are fixed with digestive enzymes and probiotics, 
Chewing and stomach acid insufficiency are two of those problems that a lot of people have and then they try to treat with digestive enzymes and with um, probiotics and that's not the issue. It's not going to fix the problem. If acid production is impaired, digestion is impaired, period. And if you didn't chew your food well enough, even if you have ideal acid production, the acid cannot work completely or ideally or as quickly as it ought to. Okay, and we'll talk about um, what uh, suppresses acid production. So then the food passes into your intestines, right? First the small intestine, then the large intestine. And there, more enzymes are secreted that begin to kind of complete that, that final breakdown process. These enzymes are secreted by your pancreas. They are called the pancreatic enzymes, right? And they there are different enzymes that tackle different types of food. So there's enzymes that tackle fats, different enzymes that tackle proteins, different enzymes that tackle carbohydrates. And they break them down into the individual building blocks. So they're gonna break down carbohydrates into sugars, proteins into amino acids, fats into fatty acids. If you have an acid problem, whether it's production of enough acid, uh, the secretion of the acid, or the acid just doesn't do its job well enough because you're not chewing well enough, then the pancreas can't do its job as well, right? So the pancreas depends on the ability of the stomach to do its job with the stomach acid. So this isn't a, uh, this again isn't a situation where digestive enzymes are going to help if stomach acid is the issue. But if you get the other things right, if you're chewing your food enough, if you are producing enough stomach acid to break down the food completely before it passes into the intestines, then the pancreas will usually take care of itself and pump out sufficient enzymes to complete that digestive process, right? Now, this stomach acid is not just about digestion in terms of breaking down the food further. This acid is also a protective mechanism. This stomach acid is critical as a part of the protective bacteria because it can kill a lot, uh, or the protective barrier, because it can kill a lot of bacteria and other pathogens. So if you don't have enough stomach acid, you do not have sufficient protection for your digestive tract. And I know we said I said I'd get to this, but you're probably wondering what contributes to low acid production or secretion, right? One of the big guys here on this is prescription drugs like Zantac and Prilosec. And let me just say, with regards to these drugs, these were never, ever intended to be taken indefinitely. These drugs were intended to be taken for, say, 10 to 14 uh, days at a time, but there are just a lot of health professionals out there treating the symptoms, say, reflux, instead of the root cause. So these drugs are significantly impairing the overall digestive process when you're on them for prolonged periods. Some people are on these things for years, for their entire adult life. And this is a dangerous state of affairs. If you have reflux, let's get to the root of the problem that probably deserves an episode uh, all in and of itself. 
and it's not just decide, oh, well, we'll just reduce acid production overall. No, that is not the right approach. That is not a long-term approach for health or for digestive comfort or anything, right? So another thing that contributes to low stomach acid is going to be antibiotic use or bacterial infections, but this is the one I really want to emphasize. A contributing factor to low stomach acid, stress. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have had with my coaching clients about the role of stress on their ability to lose weight and be healthy. And some people just think it's entirely a mental thing. Hear me. Stress is not just a mental thing. It is very significantly impacting your physical health. And we're going to talk about this one particular arena, the way that it inhibits the production of acid within your stomach, okay? It reduces uh, your ability to produce acid, okay? This is a really big deal because this is not only going to impact the way that you can digest your food, but it's also impairing your ability to protect yourself, to eliminate pathogens and other harmful bacteria. So this is about immunity and digestion, not to even touch on in this episode the other hormonal consequences related to fat loss, related to inflammation, when stress is chronically elevated, okay? And so many of us just think, okay, so give me a supplement to fix this. I have digestive issues. Just give me a supplement. Tell me what to take. What's the best digestive enzyme? What's the best probiotic? Listen, we got to change the behavior. We need to change the behavior. We want an easy out. The easy out is just tell me what pill to pop. We want an easy out so that we don't have to do the work and change our behavior. But please, change your behavior. Chew your food and calm down. Calm down and relax and eat without stress. Please. Please, please, please eat without stress. I know I'm getting a little distracted from the digestive process, but I really want to emphasize here that when we look for a quick fix, you get a short-term fix. Address the issue. Change your behavior. Don't look to just pop another pill. When I see the number of supplements some people are taking for digestive health, I'm like, yo, save some money. Change your behavior. Like, what is the deal here? Please change your behavior. All right. Let's talk about the intestines, right? Small intestine, large intestine. This is where absorption comes in, filtering. What comes in, what goes out. And if we have incomplete digestion in the intestines, trouble filtering or slow transit time, a few things can go wrong. Toxins that should go out could get in. Nutrients that should go in can stay out, right? Because incomplete digestion is not going to allow them to enter. We can have fermentation. This happens oftentimes when things go too slowly, that slow transit time I was talking about again. We see fermentation. The bacteria naturally present in the intestines start to feast on the waste that's hanging out and not passing through, and this causes gas and bloating and stomach distension, you know, just sort of like a, a bloated, puffy feeling that you can physically notice, uh, and it can cause constipation or diarrhea, all sorts of discomfort. We also can see what I mentioned earlier that really deserves its own episode, and I'll get there at some point, small intestine bacterial 
overgrowth, okay? Typically, we don't see all that much bacteria in the small intestine. It's usually in the large intestine, the majority of it. Of course, there is bacteria in the small intestine, but we don't tend to see this, this uh, significant growth. However, with incomplete digestion, we see an overgrowth of the bacteria in the small intestine, and that is going to really cause some discomfort, especially related to um, gas and bloating and and changes in your bowel movements that maybe aren't so comfortable. So like I said, that's a whole other episode in and of itself, but that's just one of the things that happens when we have this incomplete digestion that often begins because we do not chew our food well enough. And all of these problems, any of these problems or a combination of these problems, cause inflammation. And inflammation damages this protective barrier and can be very uncomfortable, right? These GI issues, again, are generally going to be caused by not chewing your food enough, not producing enough stomach acid, bacterial imbalances, and also eating foods to which you have anywhere from a very mild to a severe intolerance. And maybe you don't even notice it because you're so chronically experiencing this discomfort, this bloating, this constipation, whatever it is, that you don't realize that there's a particular food that you eat on a regular basis that triggers this. Seriously. Now, one thing that I want to say, going back to that point that digestive enzymes and probiotics are not the cure for all digestive issues, if you find that shortly after you eat, you are having issues like maybe you're burping or you have discomfort in like the upper digestive tract, like kind of feels like, um, like, not tightness in your chest, but like something's kind of stuck, not moving really well. That's not something digestive enzymes are going to fix. That's not something that probiotics are going to fix. That is something related to either the chewing or the stomach acid, right? Now, I also want to say this, because this is a big area of questions. For some people, vegetables can be a big digestive issue. Sorry, I just dropped what I was playing with. Um, the vegetables can be an issue. Now, I did an issue, uh, an issue in an episode on FODMAPs, which I will link to in the show notes, because if you haven't heard that one and you experience digestive discomfort with some vegetables, definitely listen to that episode on FODMAPs, because that might be a challenge for you. But I want to talk about fiber for a second. Now, there are a couple different kinds of fiber that I want to address. Soluble fiber and insoluble fiber, right? Vegetables that are higher in insoluble fiber are generally speaking going to be more problematic than vegetables high in soluble fiber. And this can be inside of or outside of the FODMAP family. The fiber issue is, is outside of the FODMAP issue more often than not. Now, veggies that are higher in soluble fiber are going to be more friendly for people who have this stomach discomfort with vegetables. There are a lot of people that feel like they just can't eat vegetables without stomach discomfort. You probably can, but there are some vegetables you probably can't. And this is why I'm such a big advocate of tracking. You've got to track to see which foods, and in this case, which vegetables, cause you the most GI distress, right? Now, personally, my tracking indicates for me that I'm fine with veggies, no big deal, 
but I'm not so fine with dairy, right? I know for me personally that if I start to experience reflux, I need to dial back on my caffeine. That's usually what it's related to. Track. Understand your body. Pay attention. You know, I was I was doing an interview on another podcast the other day, and one of the things I said was like, as sad as this is, we often pay more attention to reality TV stars than we do to our own bodies. We don't have a dang clue what we are sensitive to and what we are not sensitive to and when and why and how much and when cooked what way. Listen, you should know your body better than you know anything, better than you know your favorite football team, better than you know the Real Housewives of Atlanta, whatever. You should know your body. You should be paying attention. And if you are not paying attention, start. Now, today, know your body. So let's talk about this soluble fiber, insoluble fiber thing. So vegetables that are higher in soluble fiber, the more gut-friendly fiber, and lower in insoluble fiber are going to be things like carrots, squash, turnips, rutabaga, parsnips, beets, taro, yucca. Those are some of the starchier vegetables, but they also are lower in the insoluble fiber, so they're going to be a little bit more friendly in the digestive uh, side of things for people who have struggles. Now, vegetables that are higher in insoluble fiber and lower in soluble fiber, a little bit less GI friendly, but again, you might not have an issue. Your tracking document will let you know. Your body will let you know. So higher in insoluble fiber that you might be more sensitive to are going to be your greens, spinach, lettuce, that sort of thing, peas, corn, uh, bell peppers, onions, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, those ones that I often talk about on the show as being higher in fiber, they're higher in insoluble fiber, which is one of the big reasons that they keep you so full. But some people, and not all people, but some people are far more sensitive to these things. Now, FODMAPs are a classification of vegetables, and not just vegetables, but foods in general, that do cause some digestive challenges. And the most offensive of the FODMAP group tend to be garlic and onions, right? But go ahead and uh, check the show notes on primalpotential.com for a link to that episode if you haven't listened to it already. Here's something to keep in mind, though. The more finely you chop these vegetables that might cause you a problem and the more completely you cook them, like not eating them raw and really kind of erring on the side of overcooking them, that will reduce the discomfort that they cause. So chopping them up really fine and cooking them much longer, certainly not eating them raw, is going to reduce any potential discomfort for most people. So the green light vegetables for people with this GI discomfort with veggies are going to be your carrots, your beets, your plantains, and then your starchier vegetables like squash and tubers, right? And then the ones that tend to cause more problems, but please don't assume they cause a problem for you if you don't know this to be true, are going to be your greens, peas, beans, uh, like green beans, uh, bell peppers, eggplant, onions, garlic, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower. Um, So gluten is another one that causes a lot 
of digestive discomfort in many people. And I'm not even talking just celiacs. Many people who are not celiac do have a negative reaction to the introduction of gluten. So tracking is really going to allow you to see what kinds of things make you feel bloated or make you constipated or give you diarrhea or whatever it is. When we talk about practical implementation, please, please chew your food more. Four to six times is not enough. We want to be talking about more like 20 to 30 times per bite of food. Then obviously, I'm going to say this again just for the sake of being redundant because it's my show and I can do that. Track write stuff down. You need to be able to identify items that you are sensitive to. Another one is to cut back on dairy. It is a major digestive trigger for many, many people. It certainly is for me. It is for a lot of my clients. It can be anything from diarrhea to reflux to bloating, you name it. Uh, And keep in mind that even if you are not feeling the symptoms of, say, bloating, If you feel like you're sensitive to this, it is potentially impairing the integrity of that protective barrier that is your digestive tract. And then bacterial balance, that can absolutely be a factor. If you have more pathogenic or bad bacteria than you do probiotics or good bacteria, that is going to cause digestive discomfort for sure. So one of the ways that we can help to support bacterial balance is by eating less sugar, right? by supplementing with probiotics, with eating fermented vegetables. Fermented vegetables are things like sauerkraut or kimchi, right? And even though sauerkraut and kimchi uh, come from cabbage, which is one of those things that I said is high in insoluble fiber, and it's also uh, in that FODMAP group of things, because it is fermented, Because it is fermented, it is oftentimes much uh, more friendly on your stomach, even if you do have a sensitivity to cabbage. Now, I'm not saying an allergy, but if if cabbage usually upsets your stomach, try kimchi or try sauerkraut because the fermentation can help with that. Also, chop your vegetables more completely, more finely into smaller pieces and cook them more completely if you do find that you are sensitive to certain vegetables. Also, remove the stems and the peels. That is going to uh, lower the insoluble fiber and make them much more friendly on your digestive tract if you find that you're struggling. If you don't have any issue eating the stems and the peels, Don't worry about it. But if you do, then just remove them because that will help to uh, reduce some of the irritants in them. Consider if you are sensitive to different foods and you're not sure what's going on and you're having some digestive challenges, try playing around with a low FODMAP diet. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, again, go back and listen to the episode that I previously recorded on FODMAPs and nightshades. Here's another one that a lot of people don't realize. Do not drink while you eat. So it's fine to have a beverage with a meal, but drink it before you eat or after you eat, but not intermixed with chewing and eating because that can introduce a lot of air into the digestive tract and that is going to just impair the process a little bit. So don't drink while you eat. 
Now again, guys, I know this was a very high-level overview episode, and I, I hope that you understand that I'm just trying to lay this foundation of some of the common challenges. I do think that acid production is a topic all on its own, as well as small intestine bacterial overgrowth is an issue all in and of its own. Um, I've done an episode in the past on probiotics, but digestive enzymes is probably one. And if you have one that you would like me to get into, please let me know. That's why I'm here. I want to hear from you. I want to know what would be helpful for you. And let's wrap up real quick with what I ate yesterday. Started the day uh, with coffee. One of my coffees did have heavy cream in it. Um, I am committing to less dairy in my diet. I got into a hormone-free yogurt thing for a while, and it just ugh, isn't working for me. Um, then at the airport, I had a curried chicken salad. It was the, the best option available to me at the time. It was meh, okay. Then I had um, a couple handfuls of cashews while I was flying, and then dinner was a sashimi salad and a couple of riceless sushi rolls that I had with a friend, and they were amazing. So that is what I ate yesterday. I hope to hear from you guys soon related to what I can help you with, what additional topics you want to hear about, not just about digestion, but about anything. So I will be back with that um, here soon. We'll be back with another episode before you know it. Have a great day and please get in touch via email. Take care.